coming up on Garden Talk. My goal with organic is to keep the media moist at all times. That way the microbes are continuing to be active. If the soil dries out, microbes go dormant. You don't get that breakdown of those amendments, turning them into usable nutrients for the plants. A little sponge at the bottom and a little little container there. So you basically wet the sponge and then keep it on the bottom rack there. And that helps hold the proper humidity in there. Mix it up within the top inch or so of the soil. It's, it's pretty much like glass shards to these pests. Towards the end of flowering, I'll lower the temps in order to try to conserve the, the terpenes, have less terpenes volatizing off the plant. Don't get caught up in the noise. There are a million ways to go about growing these plants. There are some content creators out there that say it's their way or the highway. They have the best way to do it and everybody else is doing things wrong. And that's just so far from the truth. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Guard Talk podcast. This episode 100. In this episode, I'm joined with Dakota from Homegrow TV, but I'm not interviewing him this episode. He's actually interviewing me for this episode. This is something that's actually been requested by a large handful of you over the past two years, and I figured episode 100, let's do it. In this episode, we get into a variety of different gardening topics. I talk about my grow style, plant nutrition, environment, plant training, IPM, and more. If you gain value from these podcast episodes, please click the like button and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. That way you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to support the podcast even more, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. There are various rewards set up for those that support and you can pledge any amount that you'd like. 100% of the money pledged through Patreon goes right back into the podcast. It helps this podcast keep going. So thank you all so much for your support there. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring free gardening information of all plants to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this episode. They have two different series LED grow lights, the Ion Board and the Ion Grid. The Ion Board fixtures are board style and use Samsung LM301B diodes while the Ion Grid series has an open center design and uses Samsung LM301H diodes. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these grow lights. And the discount code MrGrowIt15 works on both Amazon and their website, acinfinity.com. And we are back. I invited my friend Dakota here from Homegrow TV. Today, I'm the one getting interviewed. How you doing today? What is up, brother? Dude, what an honor to be here. This is the 100th episode of Garden Talk with Mr. Grow It. Am I right? Oh, yeah. 100th episode, man. I want to just say I appreciate your willingness to do this, to come on and, and interview me for a change. If you aren't familiar with Dakota's work, I definitely recommend you check him out. Just amazing cinematography. Uh, one of the best, if not the best, on YouTube. A lot of people love your work, including myself. I'll definitely have a link to his channel down in the description section below. But yeah. I will, uh, I'll hand this off to you, man. You uh, fire off some questions at me. Dude, this is sick, man. And I mean, it's about time because it's been 100 episodes. Now we got you behind, you know, in the interview seat. And we got some questions lined up for you, brother, um, to go through and kind of figure out who is Mr. Grow It? Who's Chris? Your history? What got you to the point where you are here today? But before we get into those questions, bro, I kind of wanted to ask you, what was the purpose or what brought this episode up for the 100th episode? me interviewing you on your channel, 
Why are we here? Well, it was actually viewer requested. So over you know the past couple years since I've been doing this podcast, there's been a large handful of people that are like, "Hey, how about you get interviewed for an episode?" And uh, you know, I thought about it. You know, I, I agreed to do it. It just I wasn't sure when I wanted to do it, and I figured, "Hey, hundredth episode, I think that's a perfect timing to do it." And then as far as bringing you on. There was a few people who I had in mind for uh, actually being the one to interview me. I thought about like interviewing myself, but I'm like, ah, it's going to be bland. Let me <laughs> let me bring somebody else on to ask me questions. And you know, we did an episode together. I forget what episode that was, but uh, look back, uh, you'll see the episode with him. And then we also did a live stream on your channel. And both of those, I feel like, just flowed so well. I mean, we have real good chemistry. And uh, yeah, I think it. I think you would be one of the best, if not the best person to ask the questions, follow up questions, all that stuff to kind of get the most out of me. Dude, much love and thank you for that. And if I could throw it back, if there's anyone I could sit down and interview, especially on their channel, it's most certainly Mr. Grow It, Chris. Like you've made such an impact on all of us here listening to the podcast that we're now listening to right now. So I say we jump right into it, brother, because we got a lot to talk about. And this is, again, this is the moment where we actually get to know Chris, the man behind the Mr. Grow It channel, and obviously the Garden Talk podcast. So the first question, brother, tell us a little bit about how you got into gardening. A little bit about me and how I got into gardening. I was uh, born and raised outside of Boston, Massachusetts. So a little town about 15 minutes north of Boston called Bill Ricca, Massachusetts. Uh, and my first memory of gardening was actually with my grandparents. So super young. I remember being out in the garden and picking carrots, baby carrots with them and, uh, you know, washing them off and eating them and them tasting so good. And, uh, you know, rest in peace. Neither one of my grandparents on that side of the family are with us anymore, but that's a memory that I'm going to have forever. You know, it's not only carrots, but they had lettuce, some peppers, tomatoes. So it was like a full blown garden. Um, so that was my first memory ever of me gardening, you know? And then when I was about 14 or 15, that's when uh, you know I was consuming at the time. I started consuming when I was 12. And then uh, 14 or 15 years old is when I really started researching on how to grow. Uh, I didn't attempt it yet, but I was on the forums researching, trying to figure out how to do it because I was tired of spending money on it. It's like, oh, grow my own, you know what I mean? So I started researching it. And then it wasn't until I was like 15 or 16 when I started my first grow. And me and my buddies, we went out deep into the woods and there was a stream and there was like moist soil next to the stream and sun was on that spot. And I'm like, it's got to be a good spot. You know, this this sun, it's moist. Let's plant the seeds. So. Full gorilla grow style. Like Jorge Cervantes <laughs> would be proud, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So we planted that, came back months later and there's like tall spindly, spindly plants, like no buds on them, whatever. We had no idea what we were doing. It was so laughable looking back. It's like, and then we just abandoned it from there. It was, it was so funny. Um, but, but really in 2007 to 2009, that's when my friends started growing. I was watching them grow. Um, you know, they had indoor grows, outdoor grows. And I remember seeing the, the Fox Farm nutrients bottles for the first time and say, Oh, these are cool logos. What are these? What do you, these are nutrients. Oh, how often do you feed? You know, just picking my friend's brain on how to grow the plants. And then I started my first grow in 2010. I remember I grew, uh, it was like skunk number one, NY city diesel, strawberry cough, and I think Northern lights, if I remember correctly. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I first got started. 
Unreal, bro. And and just touching on like what you just said there, out of those like lineup classic strains, which are so classic now, what was one of those first ones that stood out to you, like from the Northern Lights, the Strawberry Cough, and those? Was there one like of that first gardener, you know, young Chris, you know, his first garden? Was there one that stood out to you right up right off the bat? It had to be the skunk number one, just because the the smell was just it was so skunky, right? I mean that that it's in its name. It was just super powerful smell uh, and flavor as well. Yes, yeah, no doubt, and everything that he used to cross with it in the future. That's strange. I get where you're coming from on that one, dude. So that's where you started, obviously, like Gorilla Grow style. Not many of us got our start with like Gorilla Growing, and then eventually like getting our own set up into that. But like from then till now, like what's what kind of like style are you working with now with your grow? Well, back then when I kind of first started growing, I was using the Fox Farm Ocean Forest soil, Fox Farm Trio of Nutrients. In HID lighting, which is what my friends were using, right? So might as well, you know, get mentored by them, do what they're doing because they were doing it successfully. I remember with the HID lighting back then, man, it was like I had the cool tubes, and wing reflectors came after that, and then that air cooled hood, which uh, I'm probably speaking another language for a lot of the newer growers out there. Like, what the heck is that? Basically, the cool tube was like a tube, and you had like a it was like six inch reflectors, I think, on each side or something like that. And then the wing reflectors, this big wing, and then the air cooled were game changers because you had the ducting connecting, it was just pulling the heat out of there. That's really what I started with. And I switched over to LEDs in 2015. My first LED, I don't think I'll ever forget it, is the Platinum LED P9 XML2. Really, really good light for back then. They're actually, it's so funny, they're still selling that light today. <laughs> I looked online recently. I'm like, what the heck? So like not not the best company, you know, selling older older technology. And there's they're also selling like therapy lights now, which I thought was so funny. Platinum therapy? LED therapy. <laughs> yeah. What like what are people using these therapy lights for? I don't even know, man. I didn't look too deep into it. But uh <laughs> they switched from uh, indoor grow lights to therapy lights, which I thought was I thought was pretty funny. Oh my god. But yeah, goodness. LED and then uh the Fox Farm Nutrients I got some really good results with that lineup. I used it for, you know, five, six, seven years. Just the trio. I also was using the Beastie Blooms, which is their PK booster, because oftentimes I would get phosphorus deficiency in the middle of flowering, and that PK booster did help. And then when I switched over to the LED grow lights, uh, I had added CalMag into my regimen. So um, that, that's kind of where I started there, and then kind of where I'm going now. I mean, I yeah, I'm fully over with LED. I have been using. I've used so many LED grow lights over the years. It's it's. I can't even remember them all. Right now, I'm using the AC Infinity T24s. I have two of those, and I have two T22s. And I've used Viper Spectre in the past, Mars Hydro, Spider Farmer. The list goes on. I was actually doing par testing for a while. I had companies send me lights, and I would uh, test them out and show what the par meter, what they were doing for for par numbers, and posting videos on that. I got bored of that and stopped doing that. But I did have an interest in lighting for, for quite some time there. And then as far as medium, you know, I've tried cocoa in the past. I had some great, really great results with it, but I really still prefer growing in soil. And I have transitioned over to organic, uh, but I still do synthetic grows or, you know, to be politically correct for a lot of people, there's mineral-based grows from time to time. But yeah, my main focus in recent years has been growing organically. Wow. And 
Before we continue, because like again, we're talking to someone right now, guys, that has spoken to so many experts, right? There's been a hundred episodes on the channel, but that I can only imagine how many more experts you've spoken to, again, going to MJ BizCon and different places and different areas. So how much of what you've learned from the very beginning as a grower, as Chris, at the very beginning to, again, your growth style that you've kind of explained to us now, how much of your interviews and the experts that you've known have molded that compared to you just making your own decisions? Man, it's hard to explain. I've done so much stuff differently since talking to people. It's crazy. I mean, I remember when you would hear about when the leaves, you know, pluck off leaves or leaves fall off and it's at the top of the soil, people saying that's bad. You need to immediately remove those leaves from the top of the medium because it attracts pests. And, you know, come to find out, fast forward now, organic growers, they do that purposely. They do that. It's called the chop and drop method. They're chop, chopping things down dropping it onto the soil use is mulch help retain the water also that breaks down and, and microbes break it down cycle the nutrients the plant can uptake those nutrients there's i mean an endless amount of things that i i used to do that i've changed because of what i learned through talking with people you know you watching youtube videos or talking with people on my podcast so yeah it's always changing always trying to improve when it comes to what i do in the garden yeah, that must be the battle with you and me as an active listener to the podcast and everything you do. It's like, oh my God, one week we might be talking about organics and the next week you're talking about maybe synthetics and you're talking about everything on the scale, which you as like a grower yourself as well, you must have internal battles all the time. Like, okay, okay. And so my, my question is like, when you hear someone again, like Dr. Bruce Bugby, someone with so much certification coming on your show and telling you this is the studies, this is what I've heard. Do you take these professionals and their advice as like, that's law, that's what I'm going to do? Or are you taking this as like, I'm going to test this and then apply it and, and continue to use it with your own personal stuff? I definitely take it into consideration and I say them as a source when I'm talking to other people about what they have discussed. Uh, but science is repeatable, right? So like there might be one study on it, but there needs to be more studies on it in order for it to be proven as a fact. So I just keep that in mind. Because I know, for example, there's a study on flushing out there and people are, you know, there's this one study and people are saying, okay, this is it. This is fact. Yet there's only been one study. There needs to be multiple studies on it doing with the same result repeatable uh, in order for it to really say that this works or this doesn't work. I just keep that in mind. But yeah, Dr. Bruce Bugme, I mean, he's incredible. I mean, a lot of things that he says He's done studies on, you know, uh, Utah State University, big shout out to them. I'm actually attending Utah State University. It's my second year. I am a part of his uh, cultivation certificate that he has going on. I got it last year and then I'm taking it again this year, but so much good information on there. You can only learn so much on YouTube, but actual formal schooling, you can learn so much more, especially when it comes down to the nitty gritty science of things. So that's something I really enjoy. It's not for everybody. But certainly I enjoy it. Dude, good for you. And especially like looking up and watching different channels on YouTube or podcasts on, on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. For listening to the people that like, in this case, you, Mr. Grow It, Chris, for him to be putting in the work and going and like getting these certificates to better your knowledge, to better handle the interviews that you're doing, pull in different experts. Again, that's why, that's why I've been a subscriber for a long time, bro. And it's really cool to hear this from this side of the desk, like actually getting to ask you. Um, flipping it a little bit, because you've spoken to so many experts, you've you know, obviously been implementing so many different things in testing, but you probably still have your own preferences when it comes to autoflowers, 
or photo period. So which one do you prefer and why? Photo period. So I, I've grown, uh, I started growing autos in like 2015 and I've, I've grown about a, probably two dozen or so, maybe a little bit more autoflowers since then. And I really do prefer photo period for a few different reasons. Number one, more control. Uh, I can veg the plants for as long as I want, flip the flower when it's the size I want or the shape I want. Uh, and I can delay flowering if I come across any problems, right? Like a deficiency or maybe I have a pest infestation that I want to deal with first before flipping over the flower. So I love the control off of photo periods. And then also um, my lights being on less. So being on a 12-12 light cycle when the plants are in flowering, I prefer. More particularly because it works well with my climate. So I live in a very dry climate, very hot climate. I'm in the desert actually. And I run my lights at night. So it usually comes on about 6 p.m., and then the 12-hour light cycle at 6 a.m. You know, in some areas, you actually get a benefit of lower energy cost. I don't think in my state that's the case. It's different state by state. But as far as it being cooler at night and, you know, when you have your grow rooms on, it, it heats up that grow space. But when I'm running my lights during the day, unfortunately, it makes it more difficult to control that heat. And, you know, temperatures rise up into the high 80s. It's touched 90 degrees before my grow tent, which is really not ideal. So if I can keep my lights off during the day, I'm happy. So I, I, I see that as a benefit for me. So I, I definitely prefer photo period for, for those few reasons, mostly. I do not blame you. As a gardener, we want to control as many things as possible. And when they're starting to flower is definitely one of them and an important one. So there we have it, guys. Photo period on that. So when it comes to photo period, are you more of a feminized guy or a regular seed guy and why? I got to say feminize just for the peace of mind purpose. I mostly grow from seed uh, clones I've done in the past. I just, I don't do a perpetual grow. In between grows, uh, there's a period of downtime where I'm drying, curing and stuff like that. I don't have any active plants growing. So I mostly grow from seeds and I grow all different cultivars. The max plant count I have here is 12. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So quite recently, actually, within the past year or two, I planted 12 regular seeds and I vegged them out. I actually did get them DNA sex tested. I found out the result probably like week three or something like that. So it wasn't too much time wasted. But out of those 12 regular seeds I planted, only four of them ended up being female. So I had to kill off the remainder. So like luck of the draw wasn't a really good ratio for male, female, but that throws everything off for me. So just having like the peace of mind with feminized seeds, that's just my, my personal preference really. Gotcha. Especially, I guess, like if you're planning for to fill up a four by four, four by eight, or whatever it is for your plant limits, and especially talking plant limits, some of these are going to be males. So, you know, if you're not looking to get into breeding, I totally get where you're coming from there and have similar experience, dude. On the last run with my regular run, we won't talk about it here or now, but at some point, I got to fill you in. I'm, I'm definitely sticking to the FEMS too, and I agree with you on that one, brother. All right. So, Chris, talk to us about proper plant nutrition. What do you actually do with your plants? to keep them nice and healthy? Well, it really depends on what I'm using for an input, right? So I can break it down between synthetic or mineral-based grows, and then I'll talk about organics after the fact. So with the synthetic bottled nutrients that I use, typically I'll go in at a half dose to begin. So a lot of times I grow in a soil that has nutrients already in, in it to begin. So it's already pre-charged with nutrients, a lot of people say. So typically for the first uh, roughly 30 or 40 days of the plant's life, it's got enough nutrition in the medium already to begin, particularly in soil is what I'm referring to. 
So uh, I don't do any feedings for the first 30, 40 days. And then from there, I'll start doing a half dose of bottled nutrients according to what it says on the feeding chart. Uh, you know, I like to stick to the ratios. We know if there's an imbalance of nutrients in the medium, it could lock out other nutrients, for example. So I do stick with a half dose. And then I do the, there's so many different ways to go about it. And I've done it so many different ways, but I typically stick to like the water feed, water feed technique. That is where, uh, you know, when I feed, the next time the medium dries out, I will water. Then the next time the medium dries out, I'll feed. And then I repeat that. And then when I determine when to water is just old school technique that I still do. I started from the beginning and still do to this day, which is just stick your finger in the top of the medium. If an inch down, knuckle deep, if there's bone dry, that's when I go in there with a the watering or feeding. Uh, and also lifting the the side of the grow pot and, and checking the weight and stuff like that because I don't use moisture meters. So um, I probably probably should. I mean, that makes things a little bit easier. But as of right now, I, I don't use moisture meters. So that's basically it with synthetic. And then as far as organic, I mostly use the organic blends. So I will do an initial amending of the blend. One of my recent favorites have been the Build-A-Soil Craft Blend. So before I even plant into the medium, I will amend in the build soil craft blend one cup per plant. And then roughly about 30 days into the grow, I'll do another top dressing, then another 30 days, do another top dressing, repeat that. And that's basically it, just kind of water in. Uh, but with watering, I do treat it differently than with synthetics. I don't let it dry out between waterings. I keep it moist throughout the grow. So most of the time I will do the 5% rule which is you take the size of the container and most we use a seven gallon grow pot. I'm going to be transitioning up to a 10 gallon grow pot for organic, but uh, seven gallons. So 5% of that. And then I would water that in every two, three days. It depends on the size of the plant. There's so many factors, right? Size of the plant, size of the container, so on and so forth. But my goal with organic is to keep the medium moist at all times. That way the microbes are continuing to be active. If the soil dries out, microbes go dormant. You don't get that breakdown of those amendments, turning them into usable nutrients for the plants. So um, making sure that the medium is moist is is one of my main goals with organic. Well said. And that's definitely, for, for those of us listening right now, that's definitely uh, worthy of note-taking right there. And especially for some of us getting into our first few grows, that note alone is something for me that took a little bit to understand the benefits and the the disadvantages to, to not keeping it moist. So yeah, well said on that one, Chris. So talking about the environment, what kind of conditions are you aiming for in your environment when it comes to the humidity, heat, and all that? Well, first off, when I first started growing indoors, I didn't realize how much of a pain it was going to be to balance the environment. Oh my God, what a nightmare. Easier said than done for sure. But yeah, I'll break it down one by one. So temperature, we'll start with that. Typically, what I aim for is 82 degrees Fahrenheit at the highest I've grown, you know, years in the past, 85, 87, as high as 87 degrees Fahrenheit in the past. Some cultivars can take it no problem. Others clearly struggle off of that. I found 82 degrees Fahrenheit to be ideal for most cultivars. So I've been sticking with that. And then towards the end of flowering, particularly weeks, you know, six, seven and beyond, depending on how many weeks that cultivar is, I'll lower the temps in order to try to conserve the, the terpenes, have less terpenes volatizing off the plant. Trick that I got from Dr. Bruce Bagu, talking about him a little bit earlier. He uh, he mentioned that one. That's something I, I take away from him. But yeah, lowering that temp down to about 70 degrees Fahrenheit 
and the final weeks of flowering is what I do there. Um, I try not for it to be more than a 15 degree swing. You know, sometimes it will be in the low 60s Fahrenheit when the lights are off, for example. Towards the end of flowering, I'm okay with that. But if we're in veg or the beginning or middle of flowering, I'll try to keep that those temps up around 70 degrees, the lights off temp around 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Moving on to humidity. Um, so I do go after VPD. So, uh, you know, according to the pulse VPD charts, there's so many freaking VPD charts on the internet, man. It makes things so confusing. People are like, oh, I'm going off the VPD chart. Well, which VPD chart? Because there's so many that are, are different than other ones. I've been going off the pulse monitor VPD charts that they have on their website. And so, uh, for example, if I'm at 82 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what I run, uh, I aim for about 60 to 70%. That's in the, the green to dark green range on their chart. And then in flowering at 82 degrees Fahrenheit, it's between 52 and 62%. That's again in the, the dark green to the, the light green range. I don't get too nitpicky. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it needs to be in the dark green range, which is the most ideal range. If it goes into the light green range on the chart, I'm okay with that. It's it's perfectly fine in my opinion. And most of the time, you know, I do have to add in a humidifier. Uh, for example, right now it's 30% humidity just in this room right here. That's wow. that's average for where I live. And actually, yeah. in the winter time, it gets lower. It gets into the teens. So I'm so always adding in humidity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> chap lips just dry everything. Yeah, yeah. Dope. <laughs> so you got humidifiers going nonstop then inside the tents, or do you have them outside? I have one on each side. I have a two by four tent and a four by four tent. I have one in each of those and I have one just in my lung room as well. And that, that helps, right? To make sure that the, the air coming into the grow tent is of the proper RH. So that, that's been helpful for me. And then as far as CO2, I don't want to skip over that. I've tried so much in the past for CO2, the, particularly the canisters, TMB natural canisters. I've tried the mushroom bags in the past. Both of those did pretty good jobs at raising the CO2. I have a CO2 monitor, so I'm actually able to see whether or not it's working. And it's so up and down, you know, it's it's never uh, consistent, but it does raise it, you know, whether it be 600, 700, 800. I've been up to 1200 ppm of CO2 using those methods, but even not using those methods. Uh, just me exhaling the air. I, I, I grow in the same house that I live in. I live here. My girlfriend lives here. I have three cats live here. We exhale CO2. And the air coming into my growth space is coming from my house. And looking at my CO2 monitor and seeing it at 800 ppm, not doing any supplementation, I'm okay with that. And I'm a small home grower. I'm just growing for myself. I'm not trying to maximize yield at all. I'm just I just want to get a harvest. Just want to get a sufficient harvest off of each plant. So that's been okay for me. So I no longer do the supplementation CO2, but I've done a lot in the past. So it's been fun. <laughs> and then uh, air circulation, I guess that that's a part of the environment too, right? I have, uh, you know, the oscillating fans, I have a couple of those on you know, 24-7 and I have them. You Typically, they're positioned above the canopy and below the canopy or through the canopy, make sure that air is getting through the canopy sufficiently. And uh, yeah, I haven't had any issues with powdery mildew on that. So, Do you have a certain brand of, of uh, clip fans or fans? Like do you use big fans inside the tents or using small clip fans? Or like what's your, your recommendation there? Because that's a whole other thing, me as a grower as well, that 
I mean, dude, I almost started a fire like a month and a half ago. I'm not going to lie. And this was like some Chinese fan that I had running 24-7 just sitting in the corner. So from me to you, like asking, is there any preferences or, or for growers that you would recommend for us to be using as far as like uh, circulation inside the room? I've really been liking those AC Infinity oscillating fans, the one that clip on the side of the grow tent. I've really gone 100% to that. In the past, though, I mean, they can be pretty pricey. In the past, they've used a small, um, I believe the brand is Holmes. It's like it's a nine-inch oscillating fan. I've used a bunch of those in the grow tents in the past in my grow room. I've used a 12-inch fan. Why am I not remembering the name of this brand? It's like one of the most popular brands of oscillating fans. Anyways, there was a 12-inch one I would use in my grow room back when I was just in an open grow room. And then I had it in a four-by-four for a little for a few grows. That was kind of an overkill to have that big of it. But yeah, these days I highly recommend those AC Infinity. I think they're nine inch, I believe, nine inch oscillating fans that clip onto the side of the grow tent. And it wasn't until I seen the the fire that I almost started that I hopped on and started looking at the solutions. And I seen they were one of the only ones that aren't using like little computer fans or like the little desk fans and then just remodeling them to grow fans, but they actually de- designed something for it. Um, but yeah, for me, especially here, it's, it's a big topic is getting that circulation right and the amount of it. And so that other company that you're mentioning, that wasn't a grow company, right? Holmes. No, Holmes is uh Okay. They make all sorts of, of things. I think they also make like uh air purification systems and, and stuff gotcha. like that. So another good solution to, to check out for, for those of us looking for good circulation on the inside. So what about training the plants, bro? Again, you've talked spoken to so many people with different techniques. What do you do when it comes to training your plants? That's another thing, man, where I've done so much over the years. It's fun. It's fun to be able to manipulate these plants and, and see how they grow differently. Um, you know, I'll start with topping. Topping the plant is something I do almost every single grow is I'll top the plant. And, you know, I, I used to do, I used to let the plant grow up to the fifth node, top down to the third node, then keep those lower branches to, to grow up and widen out. I've topped at the fourth node and kept the lower branches to grow up, topped to the fifth node, kept the lower branches to grow up. Uh, these days, it really depends on growth. I'll have some squattier plants where I'll just maybe do one top on other plants that have longer inner nodes and grow more stretchier. Maybe I'll top multiple times. So it really all depends on growth. But most of the time, I'm topping at the fourth or fifth node, letting those side branches grow out, adding in some low stress training, doing that on top of it. And then sometimes I'll do additional tops on those branches that came out and you know I, I've topped again and topped again and so on and so forth. I have a whole bunch of branches, but I typically like to have about eight and sometimes 16 main branches coming up is typically what I aim for. And then doing low stress training on top of it, low stress training with every single plant. And I just kind of keep it somewhat simple. I have those garden clips, those green garden clips, clip onto the side of the grow pot, use regular the garden ties, kind of look like the bread ties. And there's like two... Right uh yep those ones right there yep those snap it off however long you want it you just like a little wire boom bread ties totally he nailed it on that so exactly as well for training down yep so pulling the branches down using that to secure them down to the side of the grow pot if i'm in a fabric pot i use a safety pin to pierce the side of the grow pot but still using that uh that those garden ties in order to pull the branches down so just basic low stress training techniques there and then super cropping is the other training thing that I do once in a while. I'll mostly do super cropping when the branch is more in the center of the plant and I can't really bend it down with low stress training. 
So I'll just super crop those ones. Sometimes like when I'm in a scrog net, for example, and I have some branches growing up taller than others, I'll super crop then as well. Um, those are really only the two times that I actually utilize super cropping. Got you. And um, as far as like when it comes to lollipopping and defoliation, like what's your, your process or your strategy there? So for lollipopping, I'll typically try to do it, typically push it off until like the first few weeks in flowering. Um, sometimes if there's a lack of airflow, I'll do it in veg, but uh, it's usually either week one or week two in flowering, mostly sometimes week three of flowering. I will uh, remove the lower third, sometimes the lower fourth of the plant. And completely strip everything off. And I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but I take the stuff that I've, I've trimmed off, whether it be small branches that aren't going to reach the top or leaves, and I'll cut them up or I'll just, uh, you know, leaves, I'll just let them fl- lay flat down onto the medium now, you know, chop and drop style. And that turns into a mulch layer, which helps with the moisture retention. So that's what I've been doing recently for lollipopping and then defoliating. I typically will do that as well. I'll try to push it off to the first three weeks of flowering. Sometimes I'll do it towards the end of veg, you know, especially with the lack of airflow uh, in the center of the canopy there. Uh, you know, I'll do it on either day one or day seven or as late as day 21. And the way I typically like to do it is I will remove the leaves more towards the middle of the plant. So if you're looking kind of top down the middle of the plant, I'm removing leaves kind of almost down towards the entire bottom. And I do like to leave a lot of the outer leaves on the plant. So like the outside edge of the plants, particularly on the bottom of the plant, I call it the skirt technique is uh, something that, uh, you know, keeping those larger fan leaves on the bottom of the plant around the bottom. So it kind of looks like a skirt, particularly because I feel like, uh, you know, in the past when I was coming across deficiencies quite a bit, particularly when using synthetic bottled nutrients, I'd get that nitrogen deficiency where people know that, uh, you know, textbook style, you see it at the start at the bottom of the plant and start at the tip of the leaves and work its way up towards the petiole. If I keep those bottom leaves on the plant, I'm able to identify that deficiency. And then I'm able to make adjustments, you know, add in feeding. So that is still something I do today. I've been doing that for, for many, many years. So yeah, that's that's defoliation. And sometimes I will look towards the end of flowering. You know, day 45, if it's like an eight-weeker or sometimes a little bit later than that, if there is some leaves covering the bud sites, I'll look to try to tuck those leaves first. But if I can't, then I'll do the removal. Gotcha. So like, and, and for those like who might be listening, it might be the first time growing or just getting into it. How important is lollipopping defoliation or training your plants? Is this something that you personally do every single time with every plant or are you just kind of doing it when you have time? For the lollipopping, I do it for every plant um, in order to try to remove that larf that comes in the bottom buds that are there. Now there are some cultivars that are going to dense up all the way down to the bottom. I consider that like, you know, being lucky a little bit to have a cultivar that's like that to where those bottom buds aren't larf at all. They're actually hard buds that are, are usable. But for, for a lot of cultivars, it ends up being larf. And uh, nobody likes trimming larf. You know? And it ends up in my trim pile and I use it for oil and butter and all that stuff. But I want to get rid of it. So every single grow I do, lollipopping. And then for defoliation, uh, there are grows where just, just some cultivars you don't need to. Like I don't need to because they're more like longer internodes. Airflow isn't impacted throughout the canopy. So I find myself doing very little defoliation, if at all. So yeah, it really depends on growth. It depends on the cultivar, in my opinion. Well said. I feel like uh, you ran the ocean fruit before, right? The ocean fruit from uh, square one? No. 
No. Okay, I haven't run that. Okay, I, I feel like I have one that is like finally one that isn't like larfy buds on the bottom. Stuff that I should have chopped off is like looking decent, but uh, the Square One Genetics, yeah, they they dense up all the way down. Like I had their f- frozen fuel, right. and also their Brister right. OG denses up all the way down the bottom. Yeah, there's just as some cultivars, yeah, some. And- and I think this ocean fruit has brisker OG in it, so that might be yeah. what I'm seeing, but like towards the bottom of the plants. And I did a lollipop, but it was like the bottom quarter instead of like a whole third, like you said. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I kept some of those, man. Like they're even photo worthy, some of these, which I got the photo shoot in the next few days on that one. Incredible so genetics. About, totally. So, what do you do for pest prevention? Living where you live and the experience that you have, what kind of pests do you have to deal with and what have you learned um, as far as pest prevention? Well, since I mostly grow indoors, I've done you know, a couple outdoor grows. I actually have vegetables outdoors, but but particularly talking indoors, I've been fortunate enough to not come across many pests. The main pest that I've come across is fungus gnats, really. I've come across white flies before. I was pretty minor. I haven't come across spider mites or thrips or rust mites, anything major like that. Aphids I've had outside, but um, as far as indoors, fungus gnats is used as the number one thing I'm battling. So couple things I do to prevent pests, diatomaceous earth. I've been using that past couple of years, actually, last year, two years. And the way I use it is similar to the way a lot of people use it is they'll mix it up within the top inch or so of the soil because it said that diatomaceous earth, it's, it's pretty much like glass shards to these pests. And uh, particularly when, when the larva is hatching and they're trying to get up above the soil, it's they're getting hurt, you know, off it and they're, they're dying off. So I use yellow stickies. So not really a pest preventative, but more to identify the pests there. So I have a yellow sticky at every single, you know, every, in every grow pot. So that way I can identify if there are any gnats flying around and then I can make adjustments from there if I need to spray the plant, for example. So I, I've done, I used to spray every single week. I used to spray peppermint then the next week it would be rosemary then the next week it would be neem oil and i would do that as ipm as a, as a preventative you were cycling with three different three different uh types of a preventative and, and why were you cycling with three different ones well it said that the, the pest gets used to it so if you're just doing peppermint every single week then the, the pest will get used to it then they, they won't won't actually deter the pests as well um so rotating it you know is said to be beneficial there but yeah, I'd basically just mix it up, water uh, into a sprayer, and then add in a teaspoon of Dr. Bronner's soap as a surfactant, and then a bunch of drops of peppermint or rosemary. I know some people do five drops, some people do 20 drops of each of those. Neem oil, you can just follow the instructions on the bottle type stuff. That's what I typically do. And then spraying the plants. And typically, I'll, uh, I used to spray every week, but I avoid that now. Now I'm only doing it as needed. And Typically, I'll do it once before flipping the flower. I like to do a nice spray of the plant, then flip over. And I don't really use the peppermint, rosemary, neem as much as I do now. Mammoth can control. So I'm not sure if you've heard of that product, but that also has oils in it. It's a thyme oil and corn oil mostly, and there's some other ingredients in there as well. But I found that very effective not only to battle the fungus gnats, but also as a preventative. So spraying that before flipping the flower has been a beneficial to me. Or using uh, the amazing Dr. Zymes Eliminator. Again, that's another thing that can battle pests. Uh, if you have an infestation, it helps with that. But some people use it as a preventative as well. So doing a spray in veg before flicking the flower is typically what I'll do. It's it's as a preventative. And then last thing I want to mention is that uh, 
textbook thing is not to walk directly outdoors, indoors, into your indoor garden. So I'll typically, you know, if I'm coming from outdoors, I'll change the clothes, for example, and then go into my indoor garden. So Nice. You know what we need to do, Chris, at some point? We got to get Adidas tracksuits designed out. <laughs> and that should be like, you know, we come in from outside, we put our Adidas tracksuit on, and we go see the ladies. You know, that's <laughs> long term what I'm thinking for a good IPM. But no, great points on that. Every, every single thing through uh, preventative all the way through to, uh, to the end. Okay, so how do you go about harvesting, drying, and curing? Well, I look at the trichomes when it comes to harvesting. Uh, I usually aim for mostly cloudy. I don't really pay too much attention to how much amber there is. I know a lot of people will aim for you know 10% amber, 20% amber, 30% amber. They make their decision off of that. I'm mostly I'm looking at mostly cloudy, Just trying to see minimal clear trichomes. At that point, I'll harvest. I'll cut the plant at the base of the stalk and hang the entire plant. I uh, typically dry in a grow tent. That's been kind of my go-to is drying in a grow tent, I'll, uh, whether it be a 4x4 four four or a 2x4, depending on the number of plants that I have. I will uh, have an oscillating fan at the bottom of the tent, circulating air around. I'll make sure that that oscillating fan doesn't isn't pointed up towards the, the buds because that dries out the buds a, a little bit quicker than desired, in my opinion. I live in a very dry climate, so I always have a humidifier to add in humidity. I aim for 60% RH at a 60 degree Fahrenheit temperature. Now, unfortunately, I, I can't usually can't get as low as 60 degree Fahrenheit temperature. It's usually about 65, 65 to 68 is what I can usually get it down to. So yeah, ideally it would be 60, 60, but uh, I can't get it to that every time. You know, it usually dries for about seven to 10 days roughly for me. And then for curing, I have been carrying for many, many years in glass mason jars. So, yeah. you know, typical uh, one ounce of bud in a 32-ounce jar, wide malt mason jar, have a little hygrometer in there so I can see what the temperature and RH is. You know, I aim for around 62 in the jar. If it's like 64 or above, I'm taking the buds out of the jar and kind of letting them dry a little bit more before putting it back in there. Doing the typical burping. I mean, I feel like I've talked about this on my channel so much that I don't know how, how in detail I want to get here on this podcast episode, <laughs> but at least daily burping right. for at least the first few weeks is what I aim for. I recently picked up those Grove bags, which are really a hot product these days. Yeah. A lot of people are ditching the mason jars and they're going after the Grove bags. So yep. I picked up some of those. Haven't used them that much for for curing. And I'm super excited now is I actually picked up one of those Canatrols. So I don't know if you heard about what those ones are. No? No, what's that? Oh, man. Dude, it's like, I'm so excited about this. I saw them at MJ BizCon. Yep. And basically what it is, is it's about the size of a mini fridge. Okay. But it controls both temperature and humidity. What? And it's for drying, curing, and storage. And you can adjust the settings on it. Freaking game changer. Oh, my God. So literally, I'm so excited to harvest next because I'm not going to have to heart, uh, dry in a grow tent anymore. I'm going to put in my Canatrol, which holds up to 2.2 pounds, and which is more than enough for me, and put it in there, set it, boop, 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 to what I want for a drying temperature and drying RH. Actually, it goes by dew point that shows the, the humidity there. And then it'll dry for a certain period of time, and then you switch it over to the uh, curing settings or storage settings, and then it's good to go. So huge game changer. I do have a bunch of stuff in there right now for storage, and it's mm -hmm. holding steady. 
it has like a um a little sponge at the bottom and a, a little okay. little container there so you basically wet the sponge and then keep mm-hmm. it on the bottom rack there and that right. helps hold the proper humidity in there dude it's nuts i'm so so pumped to have this so you're next like in the future with your harvest you're not going to be like hang drying full plants you're going to be cutting it up and then drying inside this little mini fridge style build Exactly. Exactly. Wow. And the yeah. name one one more time for us, just for the first time hearing this. What's the name again on that? Canna troll. Canna troll. Yeah. Canna troll, like a little troll. Canna troll. Yeah. C a n n a t r o l. I'm actually trying to. I reached out to them to try to get like a discount code for my audience and stuff like that. I don't know if they're going to get me one, but dude, hope me. I'm going to email one. them after this, and I'm going to be like, "Look, I was just talking. <laughs> I was just talking to Mister Growit. You know, I heard the rumors that some of this is like the the new solution." I need a discount code, and uh, please tie it to, to, to Mr. Groa, because you were the one that let me know about this amazing invention. Wow, dude, they're that's sick. They're expensive, though. They're, they're, makes they're, sense. I don't know. I mean, 1600 I think, is the price tag on them right okay. now, plus shipping, or maybe there's free shipping. I don't remember. Just saving one harvest, though, I feel like you can make that money back. You know, I've, I've lost harvest to mold before. You know, we're high humidity here, so I've lost harvest in the past, and I feel like saving one or two or hitting a perfect cure would pay itself off after like two or three harvests, no? But yeah, again, I think it's I, worth I, the money. So that's why I spent the money on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good call, bro. Okay, so before we move on, I just had one quick question and we don't have to take too long in this. What was it like? Remember the first harvest you explained to me about or the first time you were growing? What was your harvest process, curing and drying process like back then compared to now? Like what was your first time like drying and harvesting? What were you doing? Oh man, I made my first successful grow. I was just... I just had it in a closet, <laughs> you know, I was hang drying similar, you know, I was cutting it at the base of the plant and, and hanging the whole plant upside down with a clothes hanger, for example, and just leaving it in the closet. And there was no, I wasn't using a humidifier. I wasn't temperature control, you know, I wasn't doing any of that. <laughs> and I was probably losing a ton of terpenes, you know, but back then nobody really focused on that. At least my group of friends didn't really focus on that. We just let the plant dry to what it was going to dry. We never didn't even have those hygrometers for the jars. So we weren't controlling whether or not the, the humidity was right. Probably had mold for all we know, uh, you know, in there. It's so much different now. You know, we're, we're doing so much. I'm doing so much more now in order to make sure that I don't get mold during the drying process and curing process right. because it's, it's so easy. I've had it happen before. It's just, it's so easy to get if your conditions aren't right. Totally. And once you get it, it's hard to go back, meaning it's going to happen again and again on every harvest. So yeah, you make sure you tackle those problems at the very beginning and really well said as far as those tips and tricks, because is it fair to say that your your process, what you're doing right now for curing, harvesting, and is is making the difference on the flavors compared to back in the day? Yeah, I think there's been, there's a huge change. I mean, especially with uh, con- conserving the terpenes. I, I think a lot of people make this mistake, and it took me many, many years to really realize this is curing isn't the end. The, you know, storage comes after it. You know, people say, Oh, well, you're, when you're storage, you're still curing. We're not going to, not going to fight that battle. But, um, when you're, when you're curing and storing it, a lot of people ignore the temperature, the storage temperature. So yeah. like I spent so long just having stuff out in the open, it being 75, 80 degrees just in my room and the storage area. Sure, it would be in the dark, but still like the, 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 the bud browns a lot quicker than the stuff in proper storage temperature. So a lot of people will do 60 degrees Fahrenheit, upwards of 68 degrees Fahrenheit 
as their storage temperature. And yeah, doing that, I actually have some bud here that uh, you can clearly see the bud that was in a temperature controlled environment versus a non-temperature controlled environment, a higher temperature than the temperature controlled environment. You can clearly see browning. The browning of the bud happens within the first two, three months. You can see a clear difference. I think a lot of people, again, ignore the fact of their storage temperature and their their bud is deteriorating a lot quicker. And then as far as the RH or moisture content, you know, in my opinion, the more drier it is, the more harsher it is. I had somebody debate me on that one time, so I'm not going to say I'm going to say that for, for everybody's opinion. But uh, yeah. I feel like it's the drier it is, the more crumbly it gets. It's ugh, it's just harsh on my throat, at least. So yeah, uh, making sure that the RH is around that 62 percent has has been a game changer for me over the years. Good call, good call, and yeah, definitely a very important piece to everything. All the work that we've done as a grower to get to this part definitely it's something we should be paying attention to and focusing on and. Most certainly listening to Chris and what he's doing because you've proven the results and you've talked to a lot of experts on it. So for those people listening to this podcast right now or maybe even tuned in watching the YouTube version of it and they're beginner growers, Mr. Grow It, Chris, what is a message that you would like to or some type of advice maybe that you like to give for beginner growers? Yeah, I know I have a, a large handful of beginner growers that tune into my content. It's got to be got to be well over 50%, 50, 60, 70% or, or, you know, within the first year or two, you know? So, uh, yeah. Advice. I think, uh, you know, I'll keep it pretty broad here is don't get caught up in the noise. There are a million ways to go about growing these plants. There are some content creators out there that say it's their way or the highway. They have the best way to do it and everybody else is doing things wrong. And that's just so far from the truth. There are so many different ways to grow this plant successfully. Try out different ways, you know, experiment, have fun with it. There isn't just one way to do it, to go about it. The other ways to go about it are just alternate ways to go about it. Again, most of the time you're getting to the same ending there. So don't get caught up in the noise and don't think that you know everything. I mean, there's, there's, you get the comment, you probably get the comments too in the comment section where it's like, I've been growing for 30 years. I know everything. You know, it's like, yeah. No, you don't. We don't know everything. There's still scientists don't know everything. We're still identifying things about this plant. It's a never ending knowledge. So that's one thing I love so much about gardening, growing plants is that it's an endless amount of things that you can learn. And then, yeah, I just, for me, I just push myself to continue to learn and continue to try things out. And that makes things a lot fun for me. So yeah, that's the advice I have for, for beginners out there. Probably the best because then after that, you take that seriously. Then the rest kind of just starts to make sense, you know, after like stopping, like stopping, complicating everything. Listening to this podcast, number one, is the most beneficial thing we could all be doing. But uh, yeah, do not overcomplicate the things. One big question. This one's for me and a lot of people that have been tuning in to your show over, you know, how long has the show been going for now, by the way, the podcast? Two years. Just, just, two years. just passing the two-year mark here. It's crazy. Dude. So two years, two years since this sucker started, it feels like we've been hanging out for 10. I feel like we're best buddies the amount of times that I've listened to you on the podcast and all your guests. But for all of us viewers, listeners, what does the future look like for this Garden Talk podcast? Well, I'm going to make some changes. You know, I feel like doing the same thing over and over again. I'm always looking to improve. Uh, Now with the 100th episode here, I think it's about time to make some changes to try to make things better. 
So starting in the next episode, I'm not going to spoil it all, uh, but there will be a new intro coming up uh, in all future episodes. I want to simplify things. I spent so long getting caught up in the length of the episodes. I was like, oh, it's got to be 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And sure, there have been guests that have gone longer with that, and it's, it's fine. I get some good information about out of it. Yeah, There have been some episodes that have been shorter than that 45 minutes, but there have been some episodes where I kind of just, I don't say forced the conversation, but like I could have ended the conversation sooner, but just try to get more out of it and you know expanding more on a topic than needed. Right. So like I'm not going to shy away from shorter episodes moving forward. You know if it's cool if there's a 20 minute episode on the topic, I'm going to be okay with that. Nice. You know I actually got that advice. Got to give a shout out to my girlfriend who that's all she does is listen to podcasts all day long while she's working. I don't know how she does it. (laughs) I can't do that. I can't listen to something else. I have, have something else on my ears while I'm trying to do something, <laughs> but she can. Right, right. And, you know, I got this advice from her where she's like, look at this. On this podcast, there's an hour and a half long episode, but this next one's only 20 minutes. That's all I needed to cover is 20 minutes. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be more open to not really caring much about the actual length of the episodes. Awesome. I have a long list of guests lined up for the future that I'm super, super excited about. And, uh, you know, one last thing is I want to ensure that the guest is bringing valuable, valuable information to the table. So doing a, a better vetting process. There have been a, a couple of guests where I wish they had more to bring to the table, yep. which is fine. You know, the, the, the past is the past. You know, you don't really know somebody until you start talking to them. So just doing my due diligence, researching somebody, maybe having a conversation with them before. I agree to have them on the podcast to make sure that it's structured and the information being brought out is going to be valuable for my audience. I don't want to waste my audience time. You know what I mean? This is everybody's time is valuable and uh, it sucks when you're tuned into something. You're like, wait, why am I watching this? Or why am I even listening? I'm not really getting much out of this. All right. Right. Click out of it and and move on to something else. You know, I don't want it to be like that. So, so yeah, definitely have some changes coming upcoming in the future on the, the podcast here. I'm excited about. And uh, yeah, you just have to stay tuned in and check it out. And I most certainly will be, and I hope everyone listening right now will be as well. Such amazing work done in the last two years, you know, and to hear what's coming in the future is exciting. I love the changes. I love where you're going to go. Is And if you don't want to share it, totally fine, but is there any way you can give us maybe a few people coming out next year, some interviews that we could get excited about or something, throw some names out there? If not, totally fine, but if so. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I... I I Sorry hate, to put you on the spot, by the way. No, I mean, it's cool. It's cool. I I typically don't like naming guests that I'm, I plan to have on in the future without already having it filmed. Got you. Because I've made the mistake in the past of saying people's names like, oh, I'm going to get this uh, this person agreed to come on the podcast and they actually never came on the podcast. So I'm a little bummed out by that. But for this purpose, I will name a couple people Ooh. who I'm pretty confident will come on here, which is Dr. MJ Coco. Big shout out to him. I met him at MJ BizCon. He's huge. The amount of knowledge he has with both growing in cocoa yeah. and LED growth in particular, I really want to pick his brain on both of those topics. Yeah. So not filmed yet. So hopefully we do film it and get that out. Yeah. Jordan River from the Growcast podcast. Okay. Yeah. He's been doing a lot of soil courses with Queen of the Sun Grown. Interesting. He's been traveling around doing those actually. And so uh, I really want to pick his brain on pretty much like soil science, building you know your native soil using that. And uh, so I'm excited for that. Those are a couple that I have off the top of my head. I talked to... 
Tad Hussey recently. Uh, I haven't asked him to come on the podcast, but I will be asking him. Hopefully he comes on. Maybe y'all can uh, head on over to his like social yeah. media and be like, hey, you should go on the Garden Talk podcast. Maybe that'll get him to come on potentially. But, it uh, yeah, only takes this- a few of us. Yeah, it only right. us to, to let him know that we want to hear him on the podcast and uh, we might get him on. Yeah, and then repeat guests. I definitely want to get some some folks back on the podcast. Maybe we can get you back on the podcast at some point to to do some more, to do another talk here. But yeah, I'm not going to shy away for repeat guests. I started having some folks on for a second time. I'm not going to flood the channel with repeat guests. Maybe one repeat guest a month or something like that. Good idea. I'm still trying to figure that out, go with the flow type stuff. But uh, but yeah, definitely want to get some of these other people back. If I get Dr. Bruce Bugby back on, that'd be awesome. If I get Jeremy Silva from Build a Soil on, that'd be awesome. You know, there's there's some folks where really I want to do a part two. We need to continue that conversation. Yeah, exactly. To me as a viewer as well, I already know I have my list of part twos that I want to see. And I have no doubt that that this year coming up and everything you have lined up, you're going to hit every single one of those and probably more, just like you have year to year. You've blown us away as far as people listening to your show, watching your show. Cool. So, Chris, how else can the listeners find you and what else do you have coming up here in the future? Well, you can search Mr. Grow It on YouTube. You'll find two of my channels. One of them is just called Mr. Grow It. It's my gardening channel where I show my plants. And then Garden Talk with Mr. Grow It is the name of my other channel. That's my where my podcast is on and podcast clips, Q&A videos, you know, some unboxing videos. If you dig way back, you'll find the part test videos on that channel. <laughs> From the Stash Podcast on YouTube and all podcast platforms at Mr.GrowIt on Instagram. Watch out for impersonator accounts. That's the only Instagram account I have. All other are fake. I think it's like five or six fake accounts, which Instagram is just horrible when it comes to impersonator accounts. So be careful there. I don't sell anything through Instagram. So keep that in mind. If somebody reaches out to you with an account that looks like mine and they're asking you to send them money, don't do it. At <laughs> uh, Mr. Groat on Twitter, Mr. Groat on Facebook, MrGroat.com and FromTheStash.com. That's where you can find me. And then in the future, I'm working on my second book. So I hope to have that out. should be out this year at some point. Um, It was actually delayed for a little bit. I have some family health issues. I had to travel back home and stuff like that. My dad is battling cancer. He had lung cancer. He was diagnosed last year. It spread to his other lung, actually spread to his brain. uh, And they gave him one month to live. So everything's on hold, uh, you know, until, you know, I could spend spend the final final days with him. yeah, and, uh, there, of course. Sorry. Dude. Um, <laughs> no, you're good, definitely. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> no, no, nor was I, and that's uh, that's big news, buddy. And that's all right. Yeah, and other than that, keep an eye out for the weekly podcast episodes on my you know Garden Talk podcast. I hope to do more podcast clips as well. Have those on my YouTube channel, and then gardening videos on my main channel. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. Dude, I'd love to see those shorts rolling out. Is that what we're thinking? Some of the interviews maybe in shorts, maybe uh, some of that cut up into smaller bite-sized content? Yeah, shorts. I mean, I need to do that as well is try to get some of those on to all social media, really. Not everybody likes to listen to full-length podcast episodes, and there's so much good information in these episodes. So taking that information, cutting them out in smaller little bite-sized chunks, and then posting them on the channel is, yeah, I think that'll be valuable. Beautiful. Dude, and that is technically a wrap. There's our interview. Mr. Growit, a.k.a. Chris, bro, what an honor it has been to share this 100th episode with you, brother. 
I'm thankful that you decided to come on and do this. I think this went pretty smooth, man. You have a lot of good questions that you asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm not even getting to the other questions. For the next interview, at some point, we're going to collab, whether it's on my channel, whether on yours, dude. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations to you. Everyone listening, throw down a comment, throw down a like, whatever it is you're listening to this on. For Mr. Grow It, for Chris and this podcast and the vision that you're doing for us growers, for us to learn in this, bro, I respects you, honestly, and thank you. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate your kind words there. And thanks to everyone that have tuned in to the podcast over the past hundred episodes. You know, it's uh, it's been a journey and I, I never thought that I would be a podcaster. It just happened. <laughs> you know, I, th I was, thought right. I was going to do one-on-one discussion videos with growers and it actually turned into a podcast. And then uh, I got approached by a couple other guys to be on another podcast called From the Stash. So uh, I never thought I'd be a podcaster, but it's, it's fun. It's enjoyable. And, uh, Definitely excited for the future. And once again, thank you for uh, for doing this. We'll definitely keep in touch. If you guys haven't followed him, head on over his channel, follow him. I know you got a ton of really good quality videos. Cinematography's next level. Uh, seed to harvest videos are, are crazy. What I heard is that you're going to transition more to the documentary style things, which is going to be really exciting, yeah. something I'm excited about. So I'll have a link to Dakota's channel down in the YouTube description section below. Much love, brother. If you guys enjoyed this video, click that thumbs up button. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, we're doing these Garden Talk podcast episodes. And I'd love for you to tune into future episodes. All right, we'll leave it at that. Peace out, everyone. Catch you in the next episode.